0: Uh, industry sustainability uh, to me is really finding a way to stay financially and culturally viable and by addressing some of the key challenges of our time.
1: This is Sarah Bordeev and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. We're back with another conversation from the Summit Series. This year, Sam welcomed 10 mentors and 10 mentees to the program to share in six conversations about the past, present and future of the mountain resort industry. In this six episode run, we'll be sharing those conversations here on PodSAM and in the pages of SAM magazine. On this episode, we talk about industry sustainability with mentors Amy O'Ran, President and General Manager of Boreal Soda Springs, California. Jeff Beliba, Vice President of Global Resorts for Burton and brad wilson general manager of bogus basin idaho many resorts are currently asking themselves not just how do we survive but how do we thrive this conversation on industry sustainability offers several insights on the latter while this conversation took place last fall prior to the pandemic many of the lessons apply today for a breakdown of the conversation in the context of covid19 check out the september issue of sam magazine headed to mailboxes now If you've listened to the Summit Series episodes before, which you should, you know this audio is derived from actual conference calls, so there's the standard call interference, but it's totally worth it. Stay tuned to the end for a special update on the Summit Series 2020. With that, we'll hand it off to Summit Series facilitator Paul Tallner of High Peaks Group.
2: We've got a really great discussion coming up on sustainability, industry sustainability, and so that our mentees, can really uh, benefit from this and, and uh, connect the names to the voices. I'm going to ask each of our mentors to uh, introduce themselves, uh, say that your name, your uh, organization, and, and title, and also, uh, and Amy's a, a veteran at this already from being on this before, one thing that uh, you're really, really good at that most people would be surprised to know. So we'll take it in this order. We'll go uh, Brad, Jeff, then Amy and then uh, we'll keep that batting order for the first couple of questions. But uh, Brad, can you uh, introduce yourself?
0: Sure. My name is Brad Wilson. I am the general manager at Bogus Basin Mountain Recreation Area. We're a nonprofit ski area 16 miles outside of downtown Boise, Idaho. Uh, one thing I'm good at that uh, people don't realize, uh, that is a, you know, that's a I should have remembered this from the last call. Mm-hmm. I think I stumbled on it then too <laughs> uh, you know i I think it's that um that i'm a lot i think people are surprised I'm more shy than I am because I'm out and about in the public a lot uh, and uh you know it's uh, it's sometimes challenging just to go out on the hill because um as general manager at a community non profit uh, you're you're much more of a spokesperson than you are at a typical destination ski area so um, I think people would be surprised that uh, at, uh, I, I find that a little difficult at times.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Uh, Jeff, do you want to introduce yourself? Welcome.
3: Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Jeff Beliva. I'm the vice president of Global Resorts here at Burton Snowboards, and I've worked for Burton for 20 years. I worked at a couple resorts before coming here, and uh, let's see, something that I'm really good at that people might not know. I, I've been a coach for many years. I coach uh, high school volleyball, um, baseball, softball, and, and snowboarding. And uh, we just, uh, just won our fourth state championship in high school volleyball. So uh, coaching for me is definitely one of my passions. I do it a lot in snowboarding. I have for a while. And that might be something that people don't know.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate that. Amy?
4: All right. Good morning. i um, glad to be back on a call. So I'm Amy O'Ran and I'm the president and general manager of Boreal Mountain, California, Soda Springs Ski Resort and Woodward Tahoe. And to expand on my introduction from the last call where I introduced that I'm a passionate rock climber and I have been known for taking conference calls in some really strange places like halfway up um, El Cap uh, I I would expand on that and just say, I think I'm really good at being an active participant in our sports and it means I'm tired a lot, which uh, my my team also knows, but um, part of my drive in staying in this industry is because I can be an active participant and I make sure that I take every opportunity.
2: Thank you, Amy, and thanks to all three of you for those great introductions. and Doubly to Amy for having to come up with a second interesting thing. There's probably no shortage, uh, so thank you for that. Um, so I'll start with a question uh, to each of you to get us rolling, uh, and we'll we'll go in the the same order, Brad, Jeff and Amy. But you know sustainability is uh, a word that could mean a lot of things to a lot of folks, uh, certainly a big topic, uh, no matter what facet you're looking at it from. But for you personally and from your vantage point what does industry sustainability mean to you and how like how would you define it brad
0: well thanks paul um, i think uh, uh, industry sustainability uh, to me is really finding a way to stay financially and culturally viable and by addressing some of the key challenges of our time including of course climate change changing demographics environmental stewardship and potential political and economical instability um, you know, we really need to become part of the solution instead of the victim. Um, on climate change, we are the canary in the coal mine. And I, I really believe, and I think, Jeff, you'll, you'll agree with this, is we really got to keep, and Amy, we got to really keep the stoke going for snow sports uh, by addressing uh, the newer generations. Uh, we've hired very young marketing people to help us uh, really get the messaging out to young families and young, young adults. Uh, you need to own social media. You need to redirect your efforts to uh, to learn the sport. And uh, from our perspective, we really feel it's important to keep the prices reasonable. Um, as a nonprofit, uh, we have an obligation to be affordable to half of the population of uh, Boise metro area. So uh, that's hugely important to us. I think we also need to work on reducing our carbon footprint. and. Uh, Uh, And as a local nonprofit mountain recreation area, we have been for 77 years. We're really woven into the fabric of the community. So we're much more than a place to ski. So it is super important for generations of Boiseans that we remain sustainable and open and uh, and available uh, to the marketplace.
2: Thanks a lot, Brad. Jeff, can you give us your perspective?
3: Yeah, so... Industry sustainability to mean means that we're taking a holistic approach to protect the people, playground, and products that sustain snowboarding, skiing, and the resort lifestyle. Because at the end of the day, that resort lifestyle is is affects everything um, that we do. And we define that by a commitment to produce high quality, innovative products and programs that have a long lifetime and a small footprint on the world. And as we all know, you know, it's not easy to do that, but we're 100% committed um, to that. And, you know, we have a couple things here. Our Burton stance is is a piece. It's our vision, values, and commitment. And it really fosters the culture and inclusive community here at Burton that we really strive for. And, uh, you know, one of the things we've been working on for a long time was our B Corp designation. And that was a huge step forward. For us. Um, and you know, that certification is an acknowledgement that we're committed to being a force for good on all fronts, not just environmental sustainability, but social responsibility, transparency, and accountability. Um, and then I would say, lastly, you know, we, we published our 2020 sustainability goals and we continue to stay 100% focused on that and are making great progress towards achieving them.
2: Appreciate that, Jeff. Thanks. Amy?
4: Yeah, I guess to round that out, I'm in complete agreement with uh, the conversation already. And I think, you know, for us, this has been a, a pillar of our planning for a long time. And I feel really grateful that early in my career, John Cumming, our founder really kind of influenced us into the critical need to be ahead of the horizons with sustainability and, you know, on one hand, I think it's it's absolutely critical that we understand and do everything we can to solve to the challenges that are directly affecting our industry when it comes to changing climate and changing demographics and the, you know, behaviors and expectations that come with a, with a new generation of employees and guests. And I think where we're really challenging ourselves right now is to look at the term sustainability um, differently as you guys are on this call, but I think while the word sustainability is really broadly accepted and has a lot of power behind it, it doesn't really well define the need that we have ahead of us while, you know, to sustain in, in its essence is to kind of maintain and hold on to what we're doing. And I think everyone is challenged to think more broadly that more than sustain we're looking to evolve and to be ready to adapt and the the conversation around evolution and adaptation I think needs to sit very strongly next to sustainability. Uh, Obviously we won't be successful if we're trying to just hold on the current situation and the current business models. Um, You know we can't go after a single vulnerable snow market and I think we're all very aware of that. Uh, we need our culture to adapt to remain relevant to the emerging infrastructure markets, um, but it's it's an evolution conversation as much as as it is a resource sustainability conversation in our company.
2: That's really interesting, Amy. thank you. and you know um, this idea of uh, not just surviving but thriving. Is something that a lot of uh, organizations and industries are, are are focusing on for for the reasons you were just mentioning. So really, really interesting uh, to d- uh, you know develop a mindset of of thriving and evolving as opposed to just sort of kind of more of a defensive stance of like we let's just get through this kind of thing. That's great. Yes. Um, so we'll keep the same order for this next question as well, and this is uh, you know um, an opportunity for you to jump into the Wayback Machine, as I like to say, and reflect a little bit um, on something you observed in your past uh, either earlier, you know, earlier in your career. Maybe you were part of it, or maybe you just saw it happen, or maybe the light bulb went off for you. And but I'd love for you to share a story uh, where in which creating long-term solutions for the industry really hit home for you. Uh, could you just kind of reflect on that a little bit? Um, but we'll start with you, Brad.
0: Yes, thanks. Um... Yeah, I uh, I moved up here from uh, from Lake Tahoe, and uh, and that I celebrated my fourth anniversary uh, last month. And I came on scene here after four really poor years, and, and Amy can remember those four drought years in Lake Tahoe as well. And uh, it was a tough time. And I got here and uh, and evaluated uh, the operation and realized that. Um, they had this crazy pricing scheme here that was uh, that was put together in the late 1990s, and Bogus Basin was one of the first ski areas to drastically lower their season passes in order to increase volume, and it worked very well for them in 1998, and they lowered their price from $450 on a season pass to $199. Unfortunately, they kept that same $199 price for 18 years, and uh, and thus were. Uh, on the ropes financially when I got here. So um, the need to really change the model was uh, was huge. And so uh, my first year here, I increased the season pass price by 50%. And then I also went through the organization and raised prices elsewhere. I mean, we had uh, you a know, $4 hamburger and we had $23 ski rentals and $50 private lessons. And we, I mean, we were living in the 1990s because the The former regime was just locked into the fear of raising prices and didn't think the market would respond if we did, and largely because we had four challenging years prior. But lo and behold, we raised prices, uh, and we can have continued to do so, and we're selling more season passes than we ever have in history. So, uh, And and the beauty of that uh, and the outcome of that, quite frankly, is by being a nonprofit, um, we've been able to reinvest 100% of those net proceeds back into the operation. And uh and that's accounted for more than 23 or 20 million dollars over the last three years that we put back into the business. And we've established things to uh to make us more sustainable and uh including a very robust summer business with a uh, mountain coaster, uh very active mountain bike program and uh and other ancillary activities around the base. We also last summer installed a $6 million snowmaking system and this year we are able to open on machine made snow for the first time in history. And, uh, and then this summer we put in and replaced an old uh, crucial triple chair with a new high speed detachable quad our fourth. So you know, in coming here we've been able to um, really change the, the focus from 100% winter to more of a year round destination and given ourselves a much better chance to become and, and remain sustainable in the marketplace.
3: Thanks a lot, Brad. Jeff? Yeah. Uh, so, so one thing that pops out in my head is definitely kids snowboarding. And I worked at Park City from 96 to 2000, and we would get a lot of families from Southern California flying in and the, the kids already st- Uh, skated and surfed so they wanted to stand sideways and go down the mountain and at the time we didn't have uh, proper learning gear for kids it wasn't small enough it didn't flex soft enough the boots weren't small Uh, didn't have the right size boots so uh, when I started with Burton in 2000 that was you know I had my son was one at the time so we were hyper-focused on breaking down the barriers for kids snowboarding. And, and the first barrier was that we could help, that we identified was learning specific gear for really small kids. And uh, so after years of development, we released the smallest gear ever made, the learn to ride 70 centimeter snowboard, the seven children's Velcro boot, and the extra, extra small bindings. Now, at the time, this was a huge step forward for resorts, instructors, and the kids learning to snowboard as it allowed those kids to learn faster and have more fun. Um, It also equipped these coaches with better tools so they could do the job and help these kids learn. Once we achieved that, we then realized, wow, the other thing we could do is, make learning specific tools that that are used with our products to break continue to break down barriers and we brought the riglet reel to market in 2009 and then we brought the riglet park to market in 2010 and uh at that moment we realized okay we have something here that could be very portable and that we would allow us to make snowboarding more accessible so in 2012 we broke out on an initiative to break down more barriers for snowboarding and bring snowboarding in the mountains to the people. And uh, by having this dryland riglet park set up, we were able to bring it to malls, resorts, stores, parks, stadiums, everywhere around the world and provided a free introduction to snowboarding with the help of our resort partners. We just wanted to give them that initial taste to get them wanting more and, and get them up to the resorts. And then I would say the last part of that really important kids program was in 2014 when we released the physical education component of that Wriglet program, which was focused on kindergarten through second grade. And this was transformational because it allowed teachers to have a snowboarding curriculum that they could run indoor inside the gym like they would any other sport like basketball or volleyball or whatever. Uh, And then we worked with those schools to connect them with our local riglet parks and learn to ride resorts to create a future pipeline um, to the resorts and the snow sports schools. So I I think of that one, and there's a number of others I could list, but I think that one globally still has – so much traction and it's really a very powerful tool that resorts can use to help build a future pipeline that will help them be sustainable for many years to come that's great thanks so much Um,
2: amy
4: yeah thank you and jeff i have to share that we just concluded uh, our first riglet pe class in the glenshire elementary school and Mm -hmm. to speak to like the direct funneling and conversion from this program the amount of signups that we're seeing from this kind of first generation of PE class into our um, seasonal programs is real. It's so cool to see the that just direct traction of, of this program that you've spearheaded.
3: Oh, that's amazing.
4: Yeah. So I guess to share a story that I think hit home with me the most um, in 2010, I was at the time I was up at Mount bachelor as director of, staff and skier services, um, also a a powder resort. And John Cumming at the time got all of the senior leadership team together and presented a a picture for the first time that I had been involved with um, in which he really clearly and strongly illustrated that he felt that the industry was not evolving fast enough to some of the challenges that were coming onto the horizon with climate change and specifically just the participation, stagnation in our industry. And he really strongly impressed upon all of us that um, we needed to evolve and we need to evolve first and as fast as we possibly could. And out of this um, summit, really two key initiatives were, were born. And I think initiative is, is too soft of a word. It was a more of a shift in mindset And we were all challenged to go back to our specific markets and build the next generation of participants in a, in a big way. This wasn't just go, you know, discount passes and lessons. This was find the unique opportunity in your market and create a conversion funnel that solves specifically to it. And I think that was, was such a key learning to me in that there wasn't a one size fits all. There wasn't here's the program that will work for Killington and Copper and Mount Bachelor and Boreal. It was, you've got to solve to the opportunity that sits in your backyard. And we were uh, you know, kind of a competitive group and we each came up with our own unique uh, conversion funnel and pipeline. And I think we shared a lot of key best practices, um, but we all came up with something that evolved over time to be have big impact in, in our local, areas. The other uh, conversation at the time, back in 2010, was we wanted to create better relevance to the emerging markets and to youth. And to see youth participation decline was, you know, that was an early symptom that something had to change. And at this time, this inspired the addition of Woodward, uh, the action sports brand facilities and and more largely just the ethos and approach into the company of powder. And obviously that's a pretty big evolution and investment that uh, is ongoing that introduced not only a summer model and 12 new markets, but a different vibe and um, integrated brand into into powder resorts. And it has been incredibly impactful and um, really helping us to continue to evolve into to what's next.
2: A lot happening. I mean, you know, just listening to this uh, and, and hearing about, hearing the common thread around, you know, conversion, reaching new demographics and other innovations is, uh, you know, to, to ensure the long-term viability of the industry is really exciting. And, uh, thanks for for sharing all those things. I Really appreciate it. Um, I, I wanted to uh, maybe flip the coin a little bit. We're talking about some of the great, um, you know, positives, but there are also challenges that go along with um, with sustainability. So, when you and and we'll go, we'll switch up the order a little bit uh, if you don't mind. So we'll go Amy, Brad, then Jeff in this round. Um, so, in your opinion, uh, what would you say are is the biggest challenge? And the and the biggest opportunity for long term industry sustainability.
4: That's a very big question. Yeah. Um, so I just had the opportunity a couple of of months ago to attend a workshop in Helden Park City. It was a, a first annual uh, summit on sustainability solutions from all the perspectives and contexts that we're talking about today. It was called Mountain Towns Symposium Twenty Thirty. And there were a couple really impactful speakers, um, Paul Hawken and Jane Goodall, um, at, put together an absolutely incredible kind of influencing piece on, on how we approach the, the challenge that's in front of us. And I think my biggest takeaway, and they helped me to kind of articulate the challenge that I think we were feeling here, both at our resort and regionally, is that I think sometimes the challenge can seem so big and so unsolvable that I think we all start to feel that there's an inevitability to our industry. You know, We see all the, the variability and the erratic weather and um, it's easy to get kind of overwhelmed and that cycle creates a sense of apathy. And I think apathy is probably the biggest challenge that we have in front of us. And you know while we I think we need to simultaneously address the current headwinds with you know finding solutions to climate um, adaptations, finding new approaches to our workforce and our guest participation, um, we also just need to look look ahead just generations ahead and build to the opportunity that we have now. and you know to that, I think the biggest opportunity is to very critically understand the emerging markets. And you know, each market has really unique motivational factors and behaviors that are so different than, than they were five years ago or 50 years ago, um, or even today. And we need to build an experience that draws them into our sports and retains them. And I think, you know, we also have the opportunity as we're bringing new markets into our sports, we have, we have the ability to use our position to influence a broader audience into, you know, their own behaviors in their own backyards because they're, they're new and we have the opportunity to use our voice um, and leverage the, the scale that we have collectively.
2: Thanks, Amy. Brad? Well I mean
0: it's the eight hundred pound grill in the room is of course the the climate crisis um, i mean we we felt the effects here uh, I was put together a, a chart on our opening days for the last fifty years and uh, grafted a trend line there and uh, I could tell you, our average opening date fifty years ago was the third week in November on this is on natural snow, of course, and now our Typical opening date um, in the in recent time has been the second week in December. So we have seen a, that trend line is a fairly steep incline, and if it doesn't take much to draw that out, and our average opening date will be in the middle of the holidays, which will be financially disastrous, of course. Um, so you know we've embarked on ways to postpone the effects of uh, of the climate crisis. We've installed snowmaking, and, uh, and we have, you know, created a robust summer business, as I mentioned, to help offset the, the potential for uh, a poor winter. But I, I do think there are some opportunities there by, by perhaps blending, uh, especially early season, the summer activities into the winter activities. Um, making snow on uh, designated trails while you keep mountain biking going uh, keeps those two interest groups active. Uh, then we're playing with that this, this winter. Um, and I think we, you know, we really have to be ready for these big swings in the climate and, uh, and adapt, as Amy said, to, uh, to whatever might come along. And, and instead of uh, hunkering down into our shell, really reaching out in the community and figuring out ways to get people to engage in this alpine environment. And, of course, at the same time, we really need to be looked at as, uh, as leaders in sustainability within the community. This year, we've made the commitment to purchase 100% clean and renewable power. Um, That's equivalent to taking 531 cars off the road for a year. Uh, We've established for the first time ever preferred carpool parking, and that's in lieu of paid parking like you're seeing at other ski areas. Uh, We've also, uh, thanks to the city of Boise, have been able to secure a free park and ride uh, location uh, and the county's even working with us for, to develop a rideshare app uh, that we'll use uh, year-round. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to, uh, to offset any impact that we're seeing now and then really plan for the, the, the real swings in the future. Um, you know, we have a lot farther to go on uh, energy efficiency up at the ski area, and we're working on that uh, and are looking at this as a baseline year.
2: Appreciate that, Brad. Thank you, Jeff.
3: 100% agree with Amy and Brad on that. And to throw something else into the mix here, uh, I see one of the biggest challenges and opportunities is to further progress and enhance the first-time learning experience. Um, and if we do that, we can increase the conversion rate and attract new customers. Um, I think that's really mission critical and. You know, some of the ways we can do that, learning specific gear, um, incorporating terrain-based learning, making sure you're using your best instructors, teaching those first-time lessons, I think are, are things we can immediately do to get after it. Uh, and then on the product development side here, uh, we're continuing to drive innovation on the rental and learning side. And, and you know, for those of you who have seen, we, we released the Step-On Binding, um, a couple years ago, which eliminated the need to strap in, which can be very challenging for some people. And uh, step-in's available for men's, women, and youth. And when we've been working on a rental specific version for a couple years now, and you're going to see that come to market um, in the next couple years, and that will be, you know, the biggest adult size all the way down to the smallest kid size. And that, I think, will be a, a huge game changer to help in that effort. Um, The other things we'll continue to do uh, are, you know, making not only learn to ride products, but have the programs that we partner up with resorts like learn to ride, like Riglet and our nonprofit chill. And I would imagine there's probably some on the call that don't know about chill, but chill is, you know, helps thousands of youth each year overcome challenges through board sports. And it's a unique youth development curriculum and, you know, We teach core values like respect, patience, persistence, courage, responsibility, and pride. And uh, it's definitely something that's near and dear to um, our company, and I think has a big impact on the communities that we work in. Appreciate that, Jeff, thank you so much.
1: The PodSAM conversation continues after we thank PodSAM and Summit Series partner, Mountain Guard. How many skier visits are you doing? 5,000, 5 million? I'm gonna guess it's somewhere in between. Specializing exclusively in insuring the ski industry since 1962, Mountain Guard has become the largest rider of ski resort insurance in North America. No matter your size, your resort needs the expertise and experience that Mountain Guard can provide. Click over to mountainguard.com where you'll be able to make quick contact with their Eastern or Western experts. Customers know them as Tim Barnhorst, Tim Hendrickson, and Bo Adams. www.mountainguard.com.
2: We're going to turn now to questions from our mentees, and uh, uh, Sarah's going to ask a question on behalf of Stephen Remillard from Mammoth Mountain. Sarah,
1: thanks, Paul. Uh, so this question from Stephen: um, Is the consolidation of resorts a sustainable business strategy in the ski industry? We've seen it before with American Ski Corp, Intrawest, etc. What makes what is happening with Altera and Vail different? From those who have tried it before.
4: Boy, such a such a great question and an intriguing story to watch unfold, right? Um, you know, I think in the landscape of of Lake Tahoe, we're such a great example where you know we have we have the big players and and we also have the medium and mid range and small resorts that really kind of balance out the landscape. And the conversation here, you know, it's a It's a big conversation. It's on most chairlift rides. It's uh, around most most bars. Um, And I think you know, while there's there's so much excitement and a visitation shift occurring, I think it's we're all becoming so aware that this current you know model will only have long term success if we balance it um, and equally invest our strategies to be as customer centric as possible. And to continue to develop, I mean, the trend of the call today, new participation. And I think, you know, the conversations that I have, if you, if you ask almost any committed skier who has a multi-resort pass um, what they think, you're going to get two answers very quickly. They're going to say, yeah, I love the cheap passes and the access to, a, you know, intergalactic amount of resorts. Um, they're quickly going to follow by a negative narrative around the experience and the crowding. And at the same time, um, you know, you ask the the family that's a potentially new participant to the sport, you know, they're likely going to give a, a really similar answer as well. They're going to say that you know that there's too big of a gap between the experience and the price, and their willingness to pay is often exceeded by experience barriers. And I think it's really important that we understand. That all of us, whether you're a big, you know, conglomerate company or your, um, you know, a community resort like Brad, that we all have so much more to do to address the gap in the consumer expectation and what we're delivering, and that we have to do it collectively as an industry.
2: Thanks, Amy. Brad, what do you think?
0: yeah i i agree completely i i think some of the differences between uh this new iteration and uh and asc or any of the other uh ones that attempted this is that you're you're one seeing way more areas involved you're also seeing a broader uh type of ski area involved from not just the destinations but um some of the smaller feeder ski areas uh you know, Altera with uh, with the big bear ski areas uh, and and Vale with the Midwestern ski areas which I think was a was a great move on both of their parts so there's a little bit wider uh, basement or bottom to their to their configuration so they're not 100% dependent on destination travel but you know I, I do think that the, that overall um, looking at the marketing uh, you know it's it, it gives me the impression that they're really looking at that top 1%. And, uh, and we all know that that's really not the ski business and clearly not for a nonprofit local ski area like we are. Uh, and, and honestly, unfortunately we feel zero to no effect of this, of the, of the big pass programs because no one's close enough to us. Thank God. But, um, it it is a, it is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Um, I do think because they're both large enough and are are well positioned in the market that this isn't going to have the same uh, result as you saw from some of these certain consolidations.
2: Thanks, Brad. Uh, Jeff, be interested to hear your perspective on this from your vantage point.
3: Yeah, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting one to watch. And um, I think, you know, some of the differences you see from the nineties conglomerates is you know, they were heavily leveraged on real estate de- de- development. And um, I think, you know, that has something that, you know, the winning formula now is, is definitely, you know, getting those top draw resorts and aggressively, you know, marketing your pass program. You know, consolidation has brought customers affordability and season passes and more resorts than ever to choose from. I think you know the industry as a whole, the fact that if you don't have a season pass and you show up to try skiing or snowboarding at a resort and you're paying a day ticket rate, I mean that depending on where you're at that can just be crusher and I think it's a big barrier to entry for families and, and new potential participants. so I think you know ensuring that we make it easy for new Participants to try skiing and snowboarding and remove the friction for them is super important to the future.
2: Awesome, thanks a lot, Jeff. Um, and now, if we're ready, I think uh, Sarah, we have a question from uh, from Megan uh, at Snow Basin. Uh, Megan, can you go ahead and ask your question?
4: Yes. Hi. Um... I was curious, so with the transition of going to more year-round mentality at the ski resorts, um, for the sustainability of our business, have any of you experienced some company culture resistance per se, of the mindset that we originally had downtime and a quote-unquote off-season to prep the mountain and all of that, versus now we're trying to go into October and start in late May, and drive that summer business, I would just like to hear your guys' experience to shift that company culture when everyone was used to having downtime.
3: Sure. Uh, I mean, some of the things we're doing here at Burton to help our partner resorts, uh, you know, because as we, you know, over the past decade have become more of a lifestyle brand and and year-round brand, um, some of the things we've worked on to help our partner results, one, one example would be, Our leading localism efforts, connecting our stores with the local community um, to promote outreach, uh, keep that state of mind going year round. So, some examples of things we're doing uh, teaming up with, so for example, at some of our resort partner stores, we'll do yoga in the morning, we'll do tuning clinics, we'll do VIP nights. go skateboarding days. And then, you know, the the beauty of that Riglet park environment, because it's portable, we can have snowboarding on any surface, any time of the year. So a lot of our stores and resorts will do Riglet parks during beer fest or during some of the events. Like, for example, if dad's doing the Spartan race and mom's not, or mom's doing the Spartan race and dad's not, they have something to do. And, uh, you know, different types of events where we'll host sign up in the morning. Um, the other things we're doing globally, we, we have some mountain cleanup days that we, we've done. We've done that in Austria, Germany, Italy, Switzerland, and France. And we're planning to expand that to different countries. And we, we team up with our resorts to get our, and that's been something that uh, has been really cool and uh, provided some good opportunities.
4: Yeah, Megan, great question. And I can share some acute growing pains over the last seven years from moving from a, you know, a seasonal day visitor resort to a year round action sports mecca and summer camp. Um, You know, we took, we took a, we took a ski area and a bunch of ski industry leaders and said, you know, here's, here's Woodward. Um, Here comes Woodward. Here comes camp. Here comes you know, all the challenges with a completely new model. And, you know, I think looking back, what I wish I would have done, um, right from the outside before we went down this journey was to understand the balancing act a little bit better. And, you know, I think when we approach moving into new operations and seasonal diversity, we're kind of short-sighted or we, we have a five-year plan that considers visits and revenue and capital. Um, but where's your five year plan for your organizational shift? And I cannot say how critical it is to look at it from a five year view as opposed to, okay, let's get through summer and let's get through a new model of maintenance cycles. Um, we all need to be, as leadership, so acutely aware of the effects of, of business model change on our organization. Um, and to really understand and as best as we can see the demands of each function of the business, um, you know, everything, the obvious stuff adapts where it's workloads and it's schedules, but, you know, you think about your, your maintenance cycles, like we have one chairlift that goes through basically three seasons of, uh, typical maintenance in one year. And that, you know, that's, that's new, new process and new function Um, And I think it's also important to look at it as a, as a scaling act where sometimes your first few years are, you know, you're building revenue streams and it's, it's important to invest enough new resources without, you know, defeating the new financial purpose. Um, But also I think just being prepared for some endurance, right? As you, as you change your model, it takes endurance. And I think to to make sure that you build a, a team that is truly authentically passionate about the direction that your company is headed, that's gonna support endurance because if they're not organizational fatigue is gonna happen very quickly. Um I brought this up in the last call, but one model that we use now that I wish I would have had in my hands eight years ago is the value chain, um, which really drives critical thinking in how we analyze organizational needs and impacts from end to end um, it's a it's a tool that we use with any significant change now and like I said I wish I would have had it seven eight years ago
2: thanks Amy appreciate that um, Brad can you share your perspective
0: yeah Megan, this is this is a great question and because we have just experienced this uh, in fact this year we are open uh, every single month of the year for the first time ever um, and so Yeah, we had uh, the guys up on the hill had uh, a lot of time in the summer working four days, three days off, you know, not a lot to do. And all of a sudden, we've been under construction literally for the last three summers and then have started a whole summer business. So it, it was a cultural shift. I think that the important thing was is we started this effort by sharing with the staff why we need to do this. So they could all buy in and understand that this is uh, this is their livelihood and our livelihood. And this is the only way that we can really ensure our sustainability is to make sure that we can protect ourselves from some of these poor winters that are just around the corner by establishing summer business. So uh, and we've also really uh, become more liberal with our PTO and encourage people to take time off. we brought on more year-round staff so we don't have that the the pressure on the managers to to get things done as they with with a small staff and so we've uh, broadened that out quite a bit and uh, and we have shifted our work week from four in the winter and six in the summer or i mean sorry six in the winter and four in the summer to uh four in the summer and five in the winter so they they get two days off in the winter for the first time so that that seems to have helped out but it, it's still definitely a cultural shift and we have some very, very uh, long-term uh, employees up on the mountain and, uh, and so it's been important to really bring them into the fold and let them understand why we're doing this.
2: That's great. I uh, appreciate that, Brad. Um, so we'll keep the same order for this next question as well. Jeff, Amy, then Brad. And this question uh, comes from Tom Reuther at Ober Gatlinburg. Tom, can you ask your question? Hey, yeah, uh, thanks. Um, so my question is, what are some ways that your resort uses outside organizations like Protect Our Winners
0: and the National Ski Areas Association to support sustainable efforts? And how big of a role do these organizations have, and how are they helpful to y'all?
3: Hey, that's a great question. Um, you know, we've been partnered with POW. Since 2013 we, we joined as a summit member and you know we helped found their ver- their uh, division in Canada as well as we contributed to the launch of POW in Europe but I think for us uh, we use them to help with you know educating our global communities um, when there's elections to drop in and vote to encourage, you know that kind of participation and then as well as ongoing climate policy advocate efforts that's you know that's something we've worked really closely with them and then you have a couple collabs uh, where we have like in winter 20 current winter for us we have a tusk jacket and a bib collaboration that we did with them and then you'll see more products coming out uh, in the future with pow so we're very close partners with them and, and they really help us um, stay, get the message out there and really stay true to our sustainability goals um, for the industry, so great partner. Um, the National Ski Association as well, um, we're very integrated with and you know, I'm on a couple of the education committees and growth committees uh, and Kelly's doing some great things. But I think, you know, for us, being able to help shape some of their educational efforts and connect to all the different resorts is, is really important. And I think, uh, you know, because for Burton, you know, retention, making sure that first time customer has had a great experience when they do make it to the resort to learn to snowboard is super important. Teaming up with them to make sure that, that information, those tools, and those resources are available, is has been really beneficial, and I think it will continue to be beneficial for us.
2: Thanks, Jeff. Amy.
4: Yeah, Tom, this is um, just a really good question, and I think you know our approach has really evolved over the last couple of years, and I think you know early on, all of us to a fault. Uh, and I think out of the right intention, we just started blindly partnering with people, right? Like you would suddenly have a partnership with an organization and, you know, their logo was on your website. And I started to ask myself, like, is this really a partnership? You know, are we really, is this really what we're looking for? And I think it's important to kind of start with that question, like, what is it that we're looking for? And, you know, our journey really was early on, it was Partnering with an organization that helped us to build insights into how we started with an initiative for sustainability, and you know, for us, it was NSAA and starting with the Climate Challenge because they gave us a toolkit that just gave us a, a roadmap of how to approach a you know a, a big initiative. And um, you know, I think for for others, as you evolve, it does become more influence and and potentially large scale advocacy like Jeff is talking about. And I think it's just important to know what each organization brings to the table and align that with your intention. A couple of years ago, um, I think it was Geraldine put together just a, a brief on most of the organizations that had resources and what their specialties were. And that was really key for me in asking the questions of what is it that I need here and who can, who can meet that gap? Um, you know, our, our partnership with these types of organizations, um, you, we, you have the opportunity to leverage scale and community and, and thought diversity. Um, and I, you know, I think it's important, as Jeff said, it, it's 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 important that we take the opportunity to do something that none of us can do individually and aligning our voice to, you know, understand a, a louder voice and a complex opportunity. Again, um, I think just the, the real power for me is, Know, know what you need and find the partner that can fill that gap. And one of the things that I have found in, you know, NSA and power, great, you know, they're national global organizations, but it's important to also localize your networks. You have a partner in your backyard that understands your new, unique challenges and opportunities and they understand you know, the complexities of of the tactical detail with like your utility network and your political landscape and you know, who you you call in in the political landscape. And they also have inroads to local networks with random questions like, who do I call for a grant for EV stations? Um, So I think it's, it's, again, just back to the start with the question of what, what am I looking for and who can help me find it?
2: Thanks, Amy. Brad?
0: Yeah, that's great, Amy. Uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we're up here in the middle of nowhere, uh, and so we, we don't have a lot of influence by uh, the national organizations necessarily. Um, so we, we have taken a very local look at this, and uh, in fact, this year we've hired uh, energy consultants at our local that are helping us evaluate you know, everything that we do up there and try to get us a blueprint on how we can really uh, shrink our carbon footprint and how we can become more efficient. Um, we've also really taken a, a local uh, stance in town at, and trying to become the you know the, the watchdog for what we can uh, we can impact. I'm on the board of a statewide initiative trying to set up um, the economics of uh, the impacts of clim- of the climate crisis in Idaho. and this state uh, just recently recognized climate change. <laughs> In fact, they took the curriculum out of the schools for several years. weren't allowed to even use the term climate change in their schools. So, you know, we're we're starting from a ways back here, but we're trying statewide. We're trying to really establish what is the economic impact from agriculture to um, to recreation uh, across the board. What is the impact or the future impacts of of the climate crisis? To try to get our state legislature to uh, start to think about the future, which is uh, something they haven't done. Um, and then, you know, we just, uh, we're, we're for the first year ever really trying to step out in front of this and uh, it's a big, it's a big process and, and a big challenge.
2: I appreciate that, Brad. Thank you. Um, so now I have a uh, a lightning round question for our last our last question of the of the session here and we'll we'll go back to our original batting order here brad jeff then amy uh, but really you know taking a step back, uh, industry leaders are, are talking to a group of mentees who will at some point uh, take over and lead the the industry going forward uh, long after you all have retired hopefully um, i'd love for you to share one wish you have for the mentees and in, in their and uh, their future so uh we'll, we'll start with brad then we'll go with jeff and then amy so one wish for our mentees
0: i think my wish is just stay passionate um you know i think this this uh this industry was built on passionate starting passionate individuals from the 10th mountain division to uh to the people that you see now but really passion drives everything i mean Obviously uh, you can see how passionate Jeff is about learning to snowboard and all that he's done. And, and it just really, it, it is very evident to our uh, customers uh, when passion comes from the heart and uh, just just stay and keep the pedal to the metal.
3: Yeah, I would say, you know, passion, once again, Brad nailed that. That's a really important one. But I also think, you know, there are opportunities and you know, I use a lot with my team, be an opportunity manager, because it's one thing, you know, when you're working around the globe, there's all kinds of challenges. You can get bogged down in worrying about things that are out of your control. So what I would say is be an opportunity manager and focus on the things that you can control. And if you apply that passion that Brad's talking about, great things will happen.
4: Uh, yeah, I guess to round out those two great answers, I, I think what I wish for all of you is that you have the same opportunity that I was given to be an innovator. And I feel really grateful that I work for a, a company in leadership that is very innovation driven. And, you know, I, I've had the the you know, opportunity in our company and our our culture to really manage up and to pick up the phone and call our owner, call our senior leadership and say, here's something I see. And I'm so grateful that they lean in and they listen and they support uh, innovation, whether it's it's small or it's wild. Um, Innovation is such a big part of the conversation that we're having today.
1: We're all looking ahead to the upcoming winter season and exploring what resort operators can do to ensure that their businesses and employees thrive amidst these challenging conditions. It will require a level of resiliency to make it happen, and we're evolving to meet that challenge, which is why this year's program will be the Summit Series Boot Camp Resilient Leadership Training, and it's open to all members of the mountain resort industry. Stay tuned for more information at www.saminfo.com. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordaev, and thank you for listening to PodSAM.